A warning before we start. This episode includes discussions of sexual abuse. Act six. I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. Fellowship of Friends, Angel William Blake. On Halloween 2019, Fellowship of Friends member Peter Morrow went for a flight in his small twin-engine airplane. The two people on board did not survive. It was three months after I last saw him, when he gave me an aerial tour of Apollo in that same plane. ...had just taken off from Ocala, Florida airport on a test flight. Twenty three turns to the field, sir. Roger, enter left downwind for runway 18. Exit the aircraft if you can. Exit the aircraft if you can. 911, what's the address of the emergency? Um, it's on um, College, State, College Road. A plane just crashed. Ma'am, tell me exactly what happened. Um, we just saw a plane coming, flying in low, and then it crashed, and it's on fire. Okay. Everybody's running into it. Oh, God. Is it right there? Okay, just stand in line with me, okay? Oh, shit, I can't see it. Everybody's going outside. Okay, what type of aircraft is involved? I can't really, I just see a lot of smoke. Hello, Jennings. Thanks for uh, sending a note along. Uh, yes, it was kind of a sudden surprise there. Peter lost power on uh, the left engine. From what I read about the reports, he did a pretty masterful job of not injuring a lot of other people. It was a populated area. Fortunately, in our friendship uh, line of work. We keep up with our friends. And so when there's a sudden disappearance from the planet of somebody, uh, usually we feel like there was nothing left unsaid or undone between friends. So keep in touch and uh, look forward to your next adventure out west. Thanks. This is Revelations. I'm Jennings Brown. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
the luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. But all the students who completed their role, they did so well, and we'll have a tough time doing as well as they did, but we should also perform well. When Peter gave me a tour of his home right before Doomsday, I saw that he embodied so much of the fellowship. How he surrounded himself with higher impressions, his elitism, and the cognitive dissonance that allowed him to ignore the horrors of the fellowship while enjoying its resplendence. He remained devoted to Robert and the fellowship until the very end. He was buried at the Apollo Cemetery. In Robert's autobiography, he wrote that on a trip to the cemetery, he observed that the graves reminded him of bookmarks. Quote, the final result of you finding that little piece of paper and eventually using it to transcend your own death. Most of the lifelong members are getting old and starting to die off. Like Greg, the president, told me when I first spoke to him, I don't know. I just, I, I knew that this might be a, a good time. So it is a good time. I like to think of it as a crossroads time where we as an aging population have to recalculate where we go as an organization in order to survive. It makes me wonder what the next chapter of the fellowship will look like. Who will succeed Robert? Will he pass on without ever facing real repercussions for the people he's hurt? And what will that mean for the victims of the fellowship? We focused a lot on the men who say Robert preyed on them, but there were many others who were hurt in other ways, who gave much of their lives to the fellowship. This was clear to me when I met Jane. Jane, Elizabeth, Kel, my husband Judd and I joined the fellowship in 95 and left in 2015. You heard from her in the last episode. She talked about ignoring all negative criticism of Robert. Life is referred to as your play. So what happens in your life is your play. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's my play that I ended up at the fellowship. It's all written. I meet Jane at her and Judd's small one-bedroom cottage outside of Los Angeles. When they left, they were in their mid-70s and weren't sure if they'd be able to afford a home but they lucked out and found a small rental in their limited budget. Much of their earnings over the last 20 years went to the fellowship. One major expense was tithing. Everyone had to give 10% of their income. Well, it was 10%, but everything you did was money. You'd go to a reception, and then there would be a person in line inviting you to sign up for future dinners. And the evening would wear on, and I would have some wine, and they'd say, it's 400 apiece for dinner. Oh, Judd, can we go, please? Oh, God. There was a lot of solicitation while people were heavily drinking. Yeah. Every event costs money. Every single event. And there were fundraisers for everything in the whole world. And I remember this woman wanting me to give money for new dishes, and... I said, he already has dishes, but you don't say that. 
but he's always buying. He's always buying crystal and clocks and fireplaces, and he needs money, and we're asked to do that. Jane actually worked for the fellowship. She was secretary to the president. People on salary made extremely little money, $400 a month. And it was actually like, let's say, seven or 800 but they kindly withheld your teaching payment out of that. She's talking about the teaching payments for meetings where Robert speaks to his students. After these payments were deducted, they earned about $400 a month. Those who weren't on salary paid $50 for a seat at these events, 100 for the front row. The men who travel and live with Robert attend for free. There are about six meetings a week. Ex-members tell me there's an expectation to attend at least one a week. So people can spend hundreds or thousands a year just going to meetings to be around Robert. And if you wanted to get closer to the teacher, just for a moment, you could buy that. $50 to stand by him and have a picture. So with these pictures, Mm -hmm. how many did you take? Just the one? Oh, no. (laughs) You get addicted. I would guess 20 to 30. And of course, there were the doomsday predictions. The people who believe Robert's prophecies made horrible financial decisions. People maxed out their credit cards because they thought there's no tomorrow, so no problem. There was this general sense that the outside world and its institutions would crumble and finances wouldn't matter. The world was going to die and we were going to be alive. But it wasn't just what we spent. It was stupid decisions that we made, like getting early Social Security, which is a lot less than later. Because of predictions, there wasn't going to be any Social Security, so... And we spent hundreds and hundreds on these events, dinners and things like that. We just thought we're where we're supposed to be. We don't need to save for anything. We don't... So when you finally decided to leave, what kind of financial state were you in? No savings, no income. We spent everything we had at Apollo. Finances are a huge struggle, and we're in a a lot of credit card debt, unfortunately. So it's a struggle. But all that money they lost in the fellowship, that's not her biggest regret. Joining the fellowship meant that she had to cut off her relationship with her daughter. When you were deep in it, what did you think was going to happen to your daughter? There, There was one prediction... We begged her to come. Robert wanted everybody to be at Apollo during this period of time when this was to happen. I begged her, please come, because I honestly believed in the prediction and that everything but this small space up there was going to be gone in a few days, and she'd be gone. And I couldn't, couldn't talk her into it. Were there things that you missed out on because you were in the fellowship? Yeah, her life, her growing up of the grandkids. I missed it. Can't get it back. I am learning to know her. I think that's probably the biggest regret, letting her down. How do you feel about the fact that they're still recruiting? It makes me sick. It makes me sick. What can be more important than a search for who am I? And to take people's inner search and twist it, not only not further them, but put them behind. 
What kind of a person can do that? And even worse probably are the people who know and support it anyway, because they're getting theirs. It's a crying shame. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Robert Burton has affected thousands of lives. Countless people have devoted themselves to him and the fellowship, given their money, their well-being, sacrificed bodily autonomy and family members. Many say Robert preyed on them. But why? Why does Robert do it? How did he become the teacher, the director of this tragic play? I think it's impossible to answer all these questions, but Marlene Dasman helped me understand. You met her earlier. She joined in the early years and worked as Robert's housekeeper. Who is Robert Burton? I think he was born in um, what I would call the boondocks of Arkansas. This was 1939. As Robert likes to point out, it was the year The Wizard of Oz came out. His earthly father was a butcher, but Robert says that his real father is Leonardo da Vinci. He says that da Vinci put his third eye into his mother's womb. Robert has said in meetings that he was abused by his mother. He had a terrible mother. She was very harsh. I answered the phone at this harsh voice like, is Robert there? No, 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 it's, it's Bob there. And I said, who should I say is calling you? And I was like, his mother, you know. I was like, whoa, holy Toledo, you know. This, this is where he came from. They moved to California when Robert was young. He graduated from San Jose State in 1963 and became a fourth-grade teacher. Records from a school board meeting show that Robert resigned in March 1967. Then, according to Robert, he was hitchhiking when a professor picked him up and invited him to a meeting of a fourth-way spiritual group. He joined a Gurdjieff group that was led by somebody who was quite harsh, Alex Horn, who made him kill a lamb. He made Robert kill a lamb. Alex Horn was Robert's guru. This was just a couple years before Robert started the fellowship. 
I tracked down someone who was in Alex Horn's cult during the same time as Robert. It was an amazingly violent group. This is Dave Archer. So what did you see him do that was especially violent? He loved to throw people down staircases in the most violent way possible. Jesus. Alex Horn assaulted and humiliated his followers. He had them do horrible things. An ex-member told the San Francisco Progress in 1979 that Horn made a member have sex with his own daughter. Horn also made them fight each other to a bloody pulp. Dave told me about a time he had to fight another member. I was forced to get into a circle with a friend of mine and have a punch-out, knock-down, drag-out brawl. And they stood around us in a circle and called us names. Things like faggot, cocksuckers, anything to do with being gay. Was Alex homophobic? Yeah, we were supposed to kick the living gay guy out of, <laughs> out of us. It didn't work. And um, he would just say, you're out of the group. Get the fuck out. God. Robert was eventually kicked out for performing fellatio on another member. That's according to a sworn statement from a former member of the fellowship, given during a lawsuit against Robert and the organization. He got the information from someone else who was in Horn's group. Robert has claimed he chose to leave on his own. Alex Horn introduced Robert to the fourth way, what would become the foundational teaching of the fellowship. And Robert seems to have picked up a few other things from his former teacher. Horn owned a ranch with a vineyard maintained by his students. And he slept with many of his female followers. He was also a playwright. He called his group the theater of all possibilities and taught his students that they were all playing roles in a great passion play. Clearly, Alex was a model for Robert's next role as the teacher. Of course, it's impossible to know the true psychological impact that Alex Horn had on Robert. But Robert clearly took cues from his teacher. That makes me wonder how Robert's successor will treat and influence his students, if he'll exploit them. There's one man who is most likely to take over the fellowship, this empire, when Robert dies. Yes, my name is Dorian. Dorian Matai. Several people told me Dorian is the heir apparent. He joined the fellowship in Romania. When I was um, 18, and um, moved to Apollo when I was 21. He lived and traveled with Robert for years. I met him, I was just a boy, basically. I first meet Dorian at his estate. It's kind of like his own miniature Apollo. It's surrounded by a tall fence with a gate. He lets me in and takes me to his garden. So right in front of us is the little garden that has aromatic plants, it has damask roses. We sit close to each other on a small bench, next to a chicken coop, apothecary, apiary for beekeeping, in an aviary with homing pigeons. This is, um, it's like an apothecary here. And this um, apiary, beekeeping, that's another folly. There's the homing pigeons. Why the, the homing pigeons? Once you enter into their world, it's a very beautiful world, and it's full of mystery. Dorian assists Robert with the religious side of the fellowship. At meetings, he sits behind Robert, feeding him quotes and guiding him. In recent years, Robert's teachings have spiraled into radical numerology and cosmology that's almost impossible to follow. He used to see messages in classic art and literature, maybe the occasional license plate, but now they're everywhere, numbers and patterns that only he can see. I'll show you what I mean. 
Here's a recording from a meeting. You can hear Dorian trying to make sense of what Robert is saying. Robert is sitting in the center. Dorian is on his left, leaning in, talking into Robert's ear. The center cannot hold. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Anarchy uh, rages, and the ceremony of innocence is drowned. A picture of a license plate flashes on the screen. It's a message that Robert has seen recently. Dorian describes it. It says Atlas 64. Six and four, it's very nice. Uh, Atlas has different meanings. Uh, it's considered the first king of Atlantis. And say it again, it's considered? The first king of Atlantis. Right. Atlantis. Yes. Atlas. Hmm. Atlas. At last. Atlas. At last. <coughs> you know, it spells salt backwards. Salt water, salt, Atlantis, S-A-L-T. Yes. See what I mean? Not so easy to follow. And this isn't a new development. Over the last several years, his teachings have become more puzzling or uh, esoteric. When I've talked to members about why it's difficult to make sense of what Robert's saying, they explain he's in a higher state. But Dorian tries his best to keep him tethered to reality. Since Dorian's the most involved with the meetings, it seems like he's the most likely to take over, at least when it comes to teaching. I ask what he thinks will happen when Robert dies. He's aware that, you know, he could pass any day. So he indicates certain things. At the same time, I don't believe in anointed succession. I feel that it has to arise from people's hearts. Robert has told his students that Dorian will become a conscious being like him. I asked him about Robert's teacher, Alex Horn, and how he thinks Robert compares. Robert's teacher, Alex Horn, was very intense in mm-hmm. violent methods. Mm-hmm. And oh, yes. I mean, it's, ruth- it's ruthless sometimes. In the case of Alex Horn, he would smash people's faces. And the way Robert works is that he has these visions of what can be realized, and sometimes outrageous visions. And then in working to realize those visions, sometimes it can be very painful. And, but somehow we all understand that it it's comes from a higher world. He says working to realize Robert's vision can be painful, but it's not Robert's fault. It comes from a higher world, the 44 angels that speak to Robert. Like others who have explained Robert's actions, Dorian is justifying his behavior by blaming it on higher forces. They're the playwrights. Robert is the director serving their vision. You say it's, it can be painful in, in like it's, it's very um, intense. You sacrifice a lot. Yes. But this too is a method because when the physical body is exhausted and you are required to work at very high level, something kind of breaks inside and, and new capacities can be uh, accessed. They used to work all day long, all night long, and then change coat and tie and go to a concert. Can you imagine? This is cruel. So uh, that's kind of part of it. <laughs> say it's cruel? I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, many things. It's a strain. It's a physical strain, financial strain. Um, it's relentless. But it is trying to force something. And this is the strength of Apollo, that you have the chance to erase everything you think about yourself, become nothing, and then see what emerges. It's like a death. To be in the fellowship, you have to become nothing. 
like a death. And then something else emerges, shaped by Robert. It seems like Dorian is saying the path to awakening involves suffering, sacrifice. Alex Horn was violent. Robert pushed students to the limits of exhaustion as they built Apollo. And some men told me the path to heaven meant enduring sexual abuse. If Dorian takes over for Robert, what sacrifices will he demand? Next, I take my final trip to Apollo. I go to Apollo for the final time in June 2020, in the throes of a pandemic and a recession. There's been weeks of protest and civil unrest. It's feeling more apocalyptic than any point during my lifetime. I've spent much of the last three months stuck in my studio apartment in Brooklyn. First plagued by a cacophony of ambulance sirens, then low-flying helicopters monitoring protesters out past curfew. Some days I ride my bike to an empty recording studio to work on this podcast. On the way, I pass by freezer trucks outside a hospital filled with dead bodies. I land in California at the beginning of its worst wildfire season in history. Then I quarantine and take a COVID test in a drive-through testing center overseen by the National Guard. I feel like I'm in a dystopian horror film. I'm here for two reasons. One, I want to try to interview Robert. I've done most of my reporting and I'm ready to talk to him. I floated the idea before to the president, Greg, and he dismissed it. But I hope that if I show up at Apollo and make a formal request that actually gets through to Robert, then maybe I'll have a shot. The second reason I'm here, I want to see Apollo during an actual catastrophic event. They've been preparing and anticipating global catastrophes for decades, and now we have one. It's being projected that millions will die. The pandemic is already causing major societal shifts, changes that will fundamentally reshape the world economy and the global balance of power. So what's it like at Apollo, on the Ark? After I pass a second COVID test, I ask Greg if I can meet Robert. He says he doesn't see how an interview could take place. But it's not up to him, that I would need to ask Dorian. I send an email to Dorian, formally requesting to speak with Robert. Dorian says he'll ask Robert, adding, what he will say, I do not know, as he never ceases to surprise me. A day later, Dorian tells me that Robert declined. Dorian explains that Robert had, quote, outgrown this type of interview. But Dorian has a cryptic suggestion. He writes in an email, the fellowship is like a boat. You wish to meet the captain, but a captain is truly a captain on the boat. To see Robert with the eyes of a student, you must become one. If becoming a student was the only way to meet Robert, I didn't want to rule it out. I even went to an introductory meeting with two members in a garden near Apollo. They explained to me that Robert teaches a system that allows humans to develop higher consciousness. They have me read quotes from some of the 44 angels and tell me their true meaning as interpreted by Robert Burton. To know thyself, words usually quoted of Socrates is the basis of many systems and schools far more ancient than Socrates. For most people, the main obstacle to consciousness is that they think they already possess it. Gurdjieff. At the end, they ask me if I want to become a member of the Fellowship of Friends. Right here. 
One of them warns me that peering through the looking glass can be uncomfortable. But if I'm ready, I can join this very moment. I'm not joining. That would be disingenuous and dubious ethical territory as a journalist. After the prospective meeting, I get in my car and drive to Apollo. I've been invited in by a high-ranking member I met on a previous trip. I meet him at the Apollo farm, where several members are running a farmer's market. He asked me to join a group of about a dozen members having a picnic, eating in the shade near the vegetable gardens and the chicken and goat pens. Children and dogs are running around us. Some members pass by in bathing suits. They're going to one of the Apollo ponds to swim. Someone brings me a plate of Mediterranean food made with farm-fresh ingredients. It's so idyllic, like we're in a pastoral painting. This Eden could not be more different from the world outside of Apollo, the one I've been experiencing back in New York in the grips of the pandemic. After lunch, I get back in my car and take one last drive around Apollo. I'm gonna take this opportunity to drive around and see what Apollo looks like these days. I drive by the meeting hall, Robert's home, the camels. There are the camels. The limestone amphitheater. Doing some sort of stonework near the Theatron. According to public records, the fellowship recently acquired somewhere between $150,000 and $300,000 through the Federal Paycheck Protection Program, pandemic aid. It looks like they're using this money to spruce up their compound. Outside of Apollo, people are dying. Families are struggling, but not here. They're isolated, protected from the rest of the world and its tragedies. It's almost like Robert's predictions have come true. While the rest of the world is suffering the effects of the pandemic, the fellowship is benefiting from it, apparently using taxpayer money to refurbish their ark. Of course, that's not to say that members haven't suffered. The fellowship, by design, strips people of agency. Students are given new roles in a play, new identities assigned by their respected teacher. Sometimes the play is about the end of the world. Sometimes it's about enduring or enabling abuse. To keep their role, they accept Robert's prophecies. They abandon reality. They put in grueling labor. They make payments, thousands, millions. They think they're creating something essential, a new world, but it's actually a lot like the old world. It rewards predators and disparages victims. They may think they're building an enlightened paradise, but it's just a surreal country club built on a system that propagates abuse and enslavement. I was you know, frozen at the time and felt that he was using my body for his own enjoyment. The, uh, sexual encounters were frequent. But... When I think of being 22 and being subjected to this kind of manipulation, it's an abuse of power. You've given your power over to this person, so it's easy to be persuaded to do things you wouldn't naturally do. Yeah, I, I considered him more important than my father, you know? He was the golden chain to heaven. If I engaged in that activity, I would go to heaven. It's definitely a rape. It's a moral rape. It's a spiritual rape. He stole my youth. The morning after, I felt like shit. But he swallowed and, uh, you know, especially... The angels, they arranged that he is supposed to have 
sex with his students, you know? And that's part of the play. And he's like, <laughs> like some wild dog. He seemed totally hijacked by his desire. The Fellowship is still gaining new members, and not just from other countries. Many of the recent American recruits are children of members. They grew up around Apollo and joined after they turned 18. Based on the stories I've heard from the brave survivors who have shared their experiences with me, Robert preys on his students. He has for decades, sexually, financially. He's coerced members to work for next to nothing, cut off their families. He's pressured people to get abortions, abandon their children, to leave everything behind to perform in his play. And he's gotten away with it. He exists in a lavish citadel guarded by his enablers, facing no threat from a legal system that fails victims of sexual and spiritual abuse. Robert put it a different way. He said that he is a conscious being, and that means there are no longer any laws for him. He is a law unto himself. As I start to leave Apollo for the last time, I'm surprised to see two boys skateboarding. Kids with skateboards. Doing ollies in the road. That is not something I expected to see on Apollo. They're children of members. They look like they're maybe 12. In a few years, when they turn 18, they'll be able to join the Fellowship of Friends. Robert could be their teacher. Revelations is a Spotify original from Parcast, Blumhouse, Vespucci, and Gilded Audio. This podcast is reported, written, and hosted by me, Jennings Brown. I'll be sharing source material and reporting that didn't make it into the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at tjenningsbrown. Follow me there. If you have any information you'd like to share about the Fellowship of Friends, please email revelationstipline at gmail.com or call 347-480-3527 and leave a voicemail. Production, sound design, editing, and original music by Dan Rosado. Additional production by Whitney Donaldson, Ivana Tucker, Sarah Joyner, and Nick Dooley. Fact-checking by Charles Richter. Opening narration by Viet Horej. Actually, it's Horej. Viet Horej. Artistic director of the Czechoslovak American Marionette Theater. Drew Cole is our content writing lead at Parcast. Executive producers are Jennings Brown and Dan Rosado. At Parcast, Max Cutler and Drew Cole. At Blumhouse, Jason Blum, Chris McCumber, Jeremy Gold, and Mary Licio. At Vespucci, Johnny Galvin and Daniel Turkin. At Gilded Audio, Andy Chug. If you are a survivor of sexual assault and need to talk to someone, 
call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673 or visit hotline.rainn.org. If you are outside the U.S., Pathways Safety International can be reached at 833-SAFE-833.